jungle from the city of La Paz, which is how high? Uh, 12,000 feet above sea level. Yeah, and we moved from there. We lived there for a year and a half, and then we went to the jungle in October of last year. So we've now been there a full year, and so we're going to walk you through a little bit about uh, through what that year looked like for us. So we get in the plane, and we cross over these really high mountains near La Paz, um, beautiful, and we head down, down, down to um, sea level, and you see the chocolate brown um, river among all those green um, jungle shrubberies. I don't know what you want to call them, but <clears throat> that's green and brown. It doesn't really show up well. Um, and then you get closer to the ground, and you see um, some houses there, what that looks like. So this is moving day for us. We actually arrived before our truck did. We stayed in the hostel for about a week, and um, this truck is packed full of things for many people, not just for us. Our, our things were on the top layer there. It was about 100 degrees that day. I remember I ended up having to take shelter under the tire of that truck to not get sunburned for a little while while they were loading up these smaller little, what do you call those? Uh, they're called moto trucks in <laughs> Spanish. But moto yeah. trucks. Yeah. And so I guess we had about three of those that went on to this barge-type boat and took us across the river. And you can see the bridge there um, is under construction at the time. Um, it's now fully completed, and we can go back and forth over the bridge rather than a boat like this. Um, that mattress you see on top of the truck there was clean and new, and we received it this way. <laughs> um, we went through many adjustments as we arrived. The main one was the heat, I would say, really just enduring the, the heat and hum humidity. Um, in a home without glass windows or AC, so um, we really had to learn to endure with that. Um, another, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, our, so because we have screens on our windows, um, <clears throat> we, we would also receive all of the dirt and the dust that would come, come in off of the motorcycles and the trucks. So we learned to live with dirt in our home. Um, another thing that we learned to live with were the critters. So one of the first nights that we were there, Emily got, was getting into bed. We all were getting into bed that night when we heard a scream and... Um, we go running in there to see what it was. Emily was stung. She was getting in bed. She was stung by a scorpion. And once the trauma of that sort of wore off, I'm not sure it did completely for her. She, she still got back in that same bed and went to sleep that night. Um, a few nights later, um, I found a tarantula in the bathroom crawling down the wall, screamed for Chris to come kill the tarantula. The next night, another one. Um, bats are going through our yard regularly, which are a good thing because they eat mosquitoes. Um, occasionally, we wake up in the morning and have to sweep one up off the patio that has died. Um, there are many other critters and creatures that we've learned to live among. Um, we in the community really stand out as a family. Um, we clearly, I mean, our skin color is totally different. Um, for Caleb in particular, his hair, as you can see in this picture, really stood out. Um, can you spot Caleb in that picture? <laughs> <laughs> so he, um, this was on one of his first trips there visiting with Chris before we moved there. And it was kind of 
um, difficult for him that day. He didn't want to go inside. He was already feeling all of the stairs. So that was something um, he's had to adjust to. We've all had to adjust to it um, because, as you can see, we're also very tall. Anna is standing here in this picture holding the monkey on her arm among adults. These are adult men and women that she's with in the Aseha community that Chris mentioned this morning. Um, and here I am with a couple of women um, who bring this little um, wheelbarrow of fruit by our house. And sometimes it's really full depending on what's in season. Um, but it's, it's often like this as well. Not very much to choose from, but I will buy, buy some things from them typically. Um, um, let's see. So market. Yeah, here we are at the market. This is a market that is set up on the street every Sunday, once a week. Um, we've learned to shop for clothes and other things that we might need here, household items, sometimes Christmas gifts. This is where we would go to shop for each other for Christmas gifts. Um, the food market, um, this is the one that we visit regularly. Um, and we've had to learn to adjust to market shopping and buying our fruits and vegetables there, um, what, what they have and when. And um, this lady, this is Salome. You, some of you may have written her a note today. And if not, you can overhear a note of encouragement to her, and we'll translate it later. But she's helping us learn how to cook some fish. <clears throat> she first took us shopping for the fish to show us how to pick it out and then um, where to go from there. Um, this is Ezekiel showing that we have four coconut trees outside of our house, and he's teaching us how to cut those open with the machete, which everyone... I've become somewhat proficient yeah. at now. So. And I think all the kids have had a turn, too. Um, motorcycles. We have never driven motorcycles before. So this was a major adjustment for our family. Everyone here you see taking turn getting lessons on the motorcycle. And I did as well. I'm not in the picture, but you didn't want to see that. <laughs> this is Chris and I. <laughs> the top picture. Riding down the, <laughs> riding down the highway. We were riding down the main, one of the main roads one day for a long period of time. And all of a sudden we both started laughing because we were like, we feel like chips. <laughs> we're, like, we're both remembering. Some of y'all know. Yeah, and everybody is. under 25 is like, what? Uh, yeah. That's okay. Um, so, yeah, these are all things that we've had to learn to um, adjust to. Um, what, another one, I'm missing the noise. The... It's coming. Okay. Oh. All right. Okay. So, yeah, we spent, we spent our holidays there, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, we were melting during <laughs> Christmas literally it was so hot um so it was very different uh we had to get creative and make some of our own christmas decorations so caleb and i i think mainly worked on these snowflakes and hung them on the wall and we're coloring um and cutting out things and putting them up and caleb found a thing to teach him how to draw these guys he really likes nutcrackers and he drew them and colored them and cut them out and we put them up on his door they also have to become creative with their Christmas decorations. And so these are some that were around the little town that we live in. Those are all made out of plastic cups, or the snowman's made out of plastic cups. And 
here's um, some other creative decorations that they've they've made. Another major adjustment would be the noise. Um, every Friday, Friday, usually afternoon, you, um, you hear the music crank up, and it's just a, a lot of bass being played across the river, and then sometimes next door, and sometimes a couple of blocks away, so we're sort of surrounded by music that begins on Friday afternoon and does not end until Monday morning. Um, we literally could not sleep when we first moved there. It was so loud. Um, some of you with little children who have raised children, remember those nights when the storm comes through and all the kids end up in your room in your bed because they can't sleep? Well, one night it reminded me of that because our whole family ended up in our room and they were cracking, I mean, they're big kids and they're cracking up like, how are we supposed to sleep with this noise? So that took a lot of time to really get to the point we could, but we did. So here's... Um, this, and this is, yeah. this is construction. They're constructing a wall in front of our house. You may remember some of our reports where uh, the river was rising during the rainy season, and so they're trying to build a wall in front. They've been working on this thing since we got there, but uh, they start in the evening when it gets a little bit cooler. When the sun's down. And when the sun's down, and they go until at least midnight, if not later. And uh, so you'll maybe hear a little bit of noise over the speakers. <laughs> so bad because their music's not on. Sometimes they turn on their radio and sometimes they're chatting loudly and laughing. Yeah, so, so that's a video from our window. <laughs> <laughs> so we've had a lot of adjustments, but by God's grace, we have adjusted. Um, we've learned to live with the, heat, with the heat without AC for an entire year, do schoolwork in that, and, um, and sleep at night with all the noise going on and live with dirt. So uh, these are sort of some slides about our relationships. Oh, hang on just a second. Yeah, uh, just relationships we're forming in the community, opportunities for ministry. Uh, there are people that come to our gate. One of the, the hardest things that I have had to adjust to personally, I, I, I'm a little bit, even though I've been a pastor and been in front of people, I'm a little bit of an introvert, and I like uh, to have my time uninterrupted, and we get interrupted all the time. And so people don't call you and tell you they're coming. They don't send you a message or an email. They don't ask if you'll be there. They, they just show up and knock on your gate. And you walk to the gate and then you stand there and you're not sure exactly why they're there. And you sort of try to decide whether or not they want to come in or not. You invite them in and sometimes what ensues is a two-hour conversation. And you're trying to figure out what it's about for most of the conversation, at least I, I still am. But if there are opportunities for ministry, but sometimes it can be three or four times a day, someone just walks up to your gate, knocks on the gate, and you let them in, and then begins a conversation. So um, that's been a really neat opportunity, but also a challenge uh, for us to work through. Um, this is uh, Emily doing the hair of a, of a young girl while I'm talking out front on the porch. Yeah. And again, just opportunities there. Um, Here's a picture of uh, a serenata. This is, uh, they have a tradition when you have a birthday, they come to your house the night before and they sing to you. And they'll start outside the window, outside the window of your, your bedroom and begin singing and then you let them in and you have food prepared for them. So you sort of, 
act like it's a surprise in one sense, but everybody knows they're coming and you prepare stuff for them. And they come in and we, you sing. And typically that begins closer to midnight so that they can sort of celebrate your birthday coming in. For us gringos, they've been a little kind to us. They don't come quite as late because our sleep schedule is different from theirs. But here's a little video clip of them singing the serenata so, at Emily, for, uh, Emily. At, for Emily's birthday. Honestly, dear friends of ours who have loved us so well and made us feel so welcome. And um, so this is one of the adjustments, too, is just, okay, it's, we feel like going to bed, but it's time for the serenata. And so, you know, our girls are always going to serenatas in the, in the community, too. And so there's been some late nights with all of that, but a uh, really special part of our lives, too. Uh, here's a picture of uh, Caleb and a boy, a, real, a boy from a really impoverished family that comes and gets the coconuts from us, but also plays with Caleb, and so there's opportunities there. Um, here they are playing Nerf guns in the yard, all boys like that, wherever you are in the world, uh, and just working with yard tools and things like that, so it's really special to have them come, and uh, no, another opportunity, and they're there very regularly. Um, this is a picture I'm... Uh, trying to teach uh, a couple of guys, work through what it's like to teach a passage of the Bible. They had an opportunity at their youth service to preach, and they'd never preached before, so I was sort of walking them through how do you preach an expository sermon. So we met several times and walked through how to study a passage and then how to present it in a way. So uh, really thankful for those opportunities. Uh, this is Daniela, which I mentioned this morning. So there's, she's sort of representative of... Other opportunities we've had to care for people in physical ways, with their physical needs. And so we're still communicating with Daniela. We'd ask that you continue to pray for her, but also all the medical needs that there are. A medical team came to work, um, and we worked alongside, alongside them. The girls translated for the, for the doctors during the visit, and so um, really, really uh, neat opportunities there, too. Um, here's... Anna working with a, with a group from the, school, from the school in La Paz to lay concrete at the church in Buena Vista. And here's a youth camp the kids attended. Uh, they're very creative with their games. They don't have many resources, so um, it's just amazing to me what they can come up with and do. And so we're privileged to be a part of that. Here's Anna singing at that youth camp. Um, they're studying their Bibles together, obviously. I'm teaching American football in this scene. They'd never played American football before, so it was an opportunity to kind of share with them. And this is just a meal prepared out there in the jungle. Uh, um, and so you learn to kind of eat uh, whatever's prepared for you, and um, so they've been very gracious to us that way. And then here is a picture of Joy. There's a newborn baby in that hammock, and so she's taking care of the baby while uh, the youth camp is going on. So lots of opportunities. The next picture is a, well, this is actually a video of Emily. Um, many of you know Child Evangelism Fellowship. Well, missionary came from Switzerland, 
to train some people in the local church in child evangelism fellowship. And Emily took that course. And so we just wanted to play you a little video of Emily sharing at the end of that. You can hear her Spanish, see what she, see how good she is at that, and then also just realize that's an opportunity. She did share with some kids in the plaza, and they came to know the Lord, so that was a, a real neat opportunity. <laughs> Si confesamos nuestros pecados, Él es fiel y justo para perdonarnos nuestros pecados y limpiarnos de toda iniquidad. So that goes on. Emily speaks as fast in Spanish as she does in English, which is really fast. And so we have a hard time understanding her in either language. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so we, the second half of the year, we seemed to kind of book it out with different visitors who were coming through. Um, some were teams, like one, um, for instance, was this team from Grace Church here in Ringgold um, that Chris mentioned this morning who took the Jesus film to the Chimani. Um, and uh, so we have just a few pictures to represent some people who came to visit, but there were more. Um, we seem to, the last six months, have people in our home regularly um, hosting and, um, and doing some work alongside them. So this is that team, and you'll notice the cross in the picture. That was one. They asked Chris or Caleb ahead of time if he would make them a cross to take with them with part of, uh, for part of what they were doing on their trip. So here he is measuring it out and preparing that. He was excited to have that job assigned to him. Um, and then here Chris is teaching in the community on that trip, and there's the Jesus film being played where 26 people um, came to know, right, 26 people came to know Christ at the end of that presentation, um, first time they'd ever seen the Jesus film, and it was in their own language, for those of you who didn't hear that this morning. Um, we had friends come through, and thank you all for sending them, um, who brought us gifts, who loved on us and encouraged us, which is also a really um, important part of missions, is loving on the missionaries, supporting, encouraging us. It was, it was a huge deal for me in particular, going through a rough time there. Um, Terry and Elena came, and you guys know that. You sent them, and some goodies along with them. We really appreciate that. And here she is stirring paint colors with Anna, which was, wow, interesting how they figured that out. Terry's a smart woman. Um, and here she is. She's, she's bringing some recipes with her from home, bringing us some good food. Um, and Elena and Emily grounding up some coffee beans there with Caleb in the kitchen. Um, my niece came. We also had some family come through. Um, she just graduated from high school and jumped on a plane and another plane and another plane and another plane. Yeah. And she was very brave, came alone. And so we did a tour with her in the jungle, saw some dolphins, uh, freshwater dolphins in the, um, Benny river there, fish for piranha. Then they cook them up and let you eat them. Alligator hunt, um, anaconda hunt, monkeys, um, all kinds of things that we got to see. And we, that was kind of neat for us. We hadn't done a tour like that until she came through. So here's an anaconda we're holding. It's a baby one, not 
not the big one, yeah, although it was big, <laughs> big for me. Um, and then after, we also, with uh, Sydney, my niece, we um, went into one of the communities with Carlos and Susana and did some crafts and Bible teaching with the kids there in that community as well. And this is, these are some of the kids there. And I was just going to point out in this picture, um, the little girl there going through her friend or her sister's hair is, um, she's picking out lice. This, this particular community is infested. The, I mean, all, almost all of the children have it. And you'll see kids with their hair, little girls with their hair shaved off because it's really the only, they feel, I guess, hopeless to get rid of it. But she was, I was watching her, she was picking out the eggs. If you know anything about lice, they, the eggs attach to the hair and you have to slide it off the hair. And then she would put it in her mouth and bite it in order to kill the egg. And um, so just, you know, it's just hard to see that. But Yeah, so here's a, another picture of Carlos and Susana that we work with, we talked about this morning, really. Uh, our our team, our family there, um, we, they're Takana, and um, without them, we'd have very little access to the villages that are around, and so we're just really super thankful to know them and to work alongside them, and um, so we want you to know them, too, uh, a little bit, just through our ministry, that you might know them and pray for them specifically, and um, give thanks to God that we have an opportunity to work along such dear brothers and sisters in the Lord who have a lot to teach us as well. Um, so... With all that, that was kind of a quick run through just to give you a feel for what we're doing there. And I wonder if from today or just what we've covered, if there was any questions you might have. And I'll, I'll give the update about the news in a minute, so hold off on the sort of the crisis in Bolivia. But any, any questions you might have about life there or ministry or anything else? Yeah, it is, I think. Um, there are a lot of interruptions there, honestly, because of the, just the nature of the ministry. Uh, you, have a, you have an interruption when we might, like this interruption, coming to the States. But then there's another interruption during rainy season. It, it rains, and so it's difficult to, the, the creeks rise. And we drive motorcycles. Uh, or we could hire a car to take us, but the reality is once the creeks rise, you can't cross any longer. And so a lot of the villages that we work among during rainy season, we can't get to. And so there's another break. So there's a, there's a slowness about the work in that sense. Like there's, you know, you have to always be flexible with the schedule. You always have to be, you know, put off the trip till next week if the creeks are too high and the geography's tough. Right now, uh, there's not a, it's the hottest part of the year, and it's dry. And so it's not a great time to travel to some of these villages anyway. People are just kind of, honestly, not doing a lot during these days because it's so hot. So I think in that way, uh, this is good timing for us to be here. We also don't have uh, visitors coming during this time of year. So that's why we sort of pushed off our, our, our home assignment until the fall because... Most teams that would come from the States would come during the summer months, and so that's when we're... Well, we're I, I would add to that. He asked, for those of you who couldn't hear, it seems like it's an interruption to have just moved there and gotten your ministry started and then have to come back here for home assignment. And 
I would add to that, you know, for us, it was also an unusual sort of circumstances because we're supposed to be on the field two years and then come back for three months. And for us, we had to come back last year, an unplanned visit to have Anna checked out because of the seizures that she was in um, having, which by the way, she's not on medication and they've gone away. So praise God for that. Um, but so, and for the move happening, that was also like, yeah, where it was an unusual, I think an unusual term <laughs> for us, yeah. which they probably all will be, right? Sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I think it is a reality and yeah, what else? I think the first few days are really hard. You know, you, once you get back to your friends and uh, your relationships there and you start kind of doing the work, I think we'll be okay. I think leaving will be really hard again this year. And, and the first, uh, the, the adjustment's kind of brutal because it's like coming from all of this comfort into a filthy environment that's super hot and inconvenient and uncomfortable in almost every way. And so those first few days will be hard. You know, it, it'll, there's, it'll be hard. I, I think it'll be hard. And I don't want to, like, I think, you know, our kids are already sort of working through some of those emotions as they think about returning. It's not, a, it's not an easy thing. And uh, life, you know how it is, like, there's this idealistic vision of we're going to go to the nations and all that's right and good, um, but you need God's grace every moment of the day, and you need and you realize in some of those difficult times you you just have to trust Him and wait uh, as a parent and even as our kids have to trust and sort of wait and persevere through some of those first early days until we get settled again. So we'd appreciate your prayers and all of that. And, and one way to pray is for us as parents to trust the Lord in that, you know, for our kids to endure what they endure emotionally and physically and us as well, but also to trust God's timing and his work in their lives apart from trying to always fix it. Um, we watched them this year adjust because they had to say goodbye again in um, La Paz to all their international friends at the international school. And um, there, it was a year of adjustment that way. Um, but as we were packing up to leave, to come here, uh, we watched our girls were both really sad to leave. And for us, that was a time of like, we were sad too, but we are also very thankful to see that they had truly come through this time of adjustment. Yeah, there's just, there's this, um, kind of rude awakening when you get there because, uh, everything in the States to us seems so clean. Like this, this building, the carpet, you know, you, I feel like we could eat off of this carpet and it would be much cleaner than anything in our home yeah. ever. The floor is cleaner than my counters. And, and so table. <laughs> you come back in and it's like you get hit with that again. And um, it's, it takes a little while to sort of lower your, lower your standards again to kind of say this is okay to live like this. And, and uh, so just pray. Yeah, we appreciate that. What else? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think um, 
it's, time is so very different there, you know, the whole concept of time. And I often think about, there, there's a Spanish word, really small Spanish word, ya, okay? And so ya can mean already, like something's already happened. Ya can mean right now. And ya can actually be really soon, like in the future still. And they use it interchangeably. They, they'll say, I've already done something. They'll say, I'm doing something right now, and they'll use the word ya. Or they'll actually say, I'll be right back, and they'll use the word ya, even though they haven't left yet, but they're saying, I'll be right back. They use it all for all three tenses. And I just think that's sort of representative of the way they think about time in general. So it's just more fluid than what we think about. And you don't have planned meetings. People just come to your house when they're ready to come to your house. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. And the seasons sort of rule people's lives more than they do the calendar. So it's, it's, it's rainy season. So we can do these things during the rainy season. We do these other things during the dry season. And that sort of rules things more and differently. And the sun rules things too. Like the heat of the day, people kind of go into their ha- have lunch and stop, pause, and then come back out in the evening and stay up really late. But it's such a different thing because, you know, no one's got a meeting to attend. No one's got a doctor's appointment to go to. No one's got an appointment for anything. So especially out in these villages here, a calendar sort of irrelevant other than, you know, maybe knowing the months and knowing when rainy season is coming. Apart from that, it's, it's not necessarily that important. And if there is a meeting with a time like church, you can always expect to start quite late, yeah. 30, 45 minutes late. Yeah. Usually. Yeah, good question. Yeah. What else? Mm. That's a yeah. good question. Oh my goodness, there are so many for me. Mm. Like, which one? Which one, Lauren? He asked, <laughs> "What what scripture did we draw most from when we when we arrived?" Oh, when we arrived. Like when we first got there. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, one that I focused on much of the time, the entire year, was about his grace being sufficient. Because each day there were new challenges, and it felt like a day full of challenges. And um, you would look at, go to bed and look at what tomorrow was going to look like, and it's just, you know, his, and, and, and really working to focus on. His, what he, how he's providing, how, what his grace and blessings looked like for that day, rather than the focus being on the heat or the, I didn't get a lot done or whatever else, and just focusing on his grace and, and that he is God and that I'm not, you know, be still and know that I am God, but to really know that it's him and his work and not, and I'm so weak, you know, there's, I could name so many. <laughs> that yeah, I'm and I, I think, I, I think of a couple that were, have remained consistently important in my life. And then Romans eight twenty eight, you know, he will work all things together for the good of those who love him. Um, because when things are difficult, if it's so important for everybody in this room, like that's such an important prom- promise to always have before you. Because when you're going through difficult times, if you're not believing that promise, then you don't actually see sometimes the good that the Lord's bringing into your life because you're not actually actively believing it. So God may bring good 
out of something difficult, evil, etc. But you may miss the blessing of actually seeing it because you don't have, you're not believing the promise. And so for me, it was always reminding of the promise. And then I think, for me, for to me to live as Christ and to die as gain is so important to contemplate too, to realize whatever loss we have up to and including death itself is gain for us in Christ Jesus. That's incredible. So anyway, I appreciate that question. Mm-hmm. And remembering what suffering, like what felt like suffering at, at times you know, whether it's emotionally or physically or whatever, loneliness, those type things, just to remember what it is producing within us. Like, sometimes it brings out things that are not pretty, you know, the heat, the literal heat, the, the we've talked about the heat, metaphorical. metaphorical heat, and it's it brought out things in us that were not missionary like that you might imagine and so remembering you know not to beat yourself up over that necessarily but to remember that this is producing something within me endurance and you know all that it lists produce character and hope yeah what else Yeah, what we've done, one of the challenges, and you guys can pray for wisdom in this, one of the challenges that I've had uh, thinking through this, and just one of the challenges for reaching these areas is the geography. So, you know, we've got, there's a pastor I work with in our, our local town, and then there's another pastor about 45 minutes away from us, another one about 15 minutes, and then there's another one probably... Tumapasa is three hours, Ixiamas is four and a half hours. And so those guys can't leave what they're doing and come to where I am. You can't do like a school setting where you're saying, okay, we've got class every Thursday night or something. They, They couldn't travel there. Then you've got this whole rainy season where you can't even get to them. So then it's figuring out how do we train pastors when it takes so long to get to them, how do we do that as a regular ministry? So really been thinking and praying about that all year long. And I had some, uh, one of our the visitors came down is from a group called Reaching and Teaching. And they do pastoral training work around the, the world. Uh, it was written by a missionary to, in Ecuador. Um, and what they do is they come to uh, one-week workshops and so I've invited them to kind of come and help me with those. So we've planned in this coming year three one-week workshops in which we'll bring in the pastors from the area, and they'll camp there. They'll just camp all week. We'll provide food, and then we'll train them sort of an intensive week. And then there will be a break before the next workshop. And in that break, then my role then will be to visit those guys as much as possible and follow up and sort of try to do one-on-one discipleship. Then we'll have another workshop more training, and so there will be there are three weeks planned for the coming year, three different workshops, and we'll do that for at least three years. That's sort of the plan right now. So I've done some informal discipleship with the pastors, uh, but we're trying to formalize it a little bit, but we, due to the geography and some of those constraints, we're going to be doing these workshops, and uh, I think that's, that's the best thing I can figure to do at this point, to try to make that work long term. Yes. Yeah, the issues they can't take off work, and also that 
they can't really travel very easily. Uh, it, cost, it costs a lot for them to travel. They'd have to hire a taxi, uh, which is, you know, a van to drive them, and most of them are just can't do that at all. Yeah, I think so, and that's part of what we need to figure out is how we're going to do that, but we're certainly going to, you know, offset their costs considerably. We want them to invest something, but their investment of something is is very little at the end of the day, and but at least they will be part of it, and then we'll try to take care of what we can to make sure they can get there, you know. It's a good question. Yes. It's a mixed bag. It really is a mixed bag. The, um, there was one village that's 45 minutes uh, from us, and you, ha- you can only get there by boat. And last year was the first year they, that someone graduated from the school in their village. So, I mean, you think about that. All these years, they've had a village, and they've actually had graduates for the first time ever. And some villages don't have that at all, never had any of that. Uh, there are schools, they're, uh, they're not good quality at all. They usually go for about three to four hours a day, and then that's it. Um, some of them don't attend. So the Asehawk village that's 15 minutes from our house, there's a school in their village that was put there by the government. But every morning we see Asehawk kids walking in front of our house, heading across the river to beg from the backpackers that are coming through. So they're not getting an education. Uh, so it's, it's not, it's very, very poor, honestly. What else? I don't know. There's this sort of weird backpacking European thing, you know, where, I mean, from, from it's not weird. It just seems different to us. Like, I shouldn't say weird. You're taught as missionary, don't say weird. Say different. Okay, it's different uh, for us because... I think, well, the reason I say weird, it's sort of like this hippie culture a little bit, where they sort of traveled through South America with backpacks from country to country. Well, I mean, and you have Argentinian people who come through who would, we would consider sort of, they would be, I think, interesting people. They're, <laughs> yeah, nomads and dreadlocks and playing their guitars to get in the pass in their hat and sort, sort of thing. Um, and very nice easy to talk to. They do sometimes do yoga shows or something. They brought a, a tent with a circus to town one time. But then you, yeah, you've got the European backpackers who, they're really interesting. I mean, you've got a lot of people from Israel coming through, like young people who are doing that one-year break from school, either on the front or the back end, and they're traveling the world. And a lot of them will come through Bolivia because it is an inexpensive way, right, to see some things such as the Andes Mountains, the salt flats um, that were in the the Star Wars Wars film. Um, And then then we're where the jungle is, where the Pampas is. And so they'll take a tour through there. They'll come stay like a night or two in a hostel and do that do that tour, maybe go, there's two different tours, like one is down the river in a boat and one's um, through on, on land and going to see the jaguars. Yeah, so it's... Um... But most of them speak English, yeah, and so we can talk, we can interact with them. There's ministry opportunities there. I mean, they're, to really just sit down with one of those young people and start talking to them. But that's all across the river. It's not on our side. 
So he was talking about where how the, the kids from Aseha will go over there, and if you look like you're not from there, and they don't come to our side of the river, but they'll beg from them. And they typically take that money that we've learned, and they'll go to these little shop, um, little hole in the walls where they have computers where they can pay to get online and do things, see things they ought not be seeing. So we don't, they'll come beg from us, but we don't give for that. We've been instructed not to give yeah. by Susana. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think I think there's a, a lot of that. You know, they there's a scale for missions work, uh, sort of um, depending upon the level of church development in an area. And so, some missionaries, if the church, if there are churches and they're fairly well developed, you come in and you might work alongside the churches to supporting the leaders that are there. Um, and your role as a missionary is really to come alongside. But if you back up and if you come into an area that where you have all of these least reached villages and you have fledgling churches, you're on the other end of the scale, you're really at a kind of close to a pioneer level of work, which is why when you see what we're doing, it feels like a little bit of all the above. You know, there's pastor training in there. There's showing the Jesus film in a Chimani village. There's... um, discipling, you know, young guys, there's medical work, there's all of these kinds of things because the further you get on that scale toward pioneer work, the more kind of open-ended you need to be with your ministry just because the nature of the work. You know, if you have churches and hospitals and sort of a well-developed society and, and there is some Christians there, you can sort of slice your ministry fairly narrowly and do, this is what I do as a missionary. But when you go to a pioneer field, more where we are, where you have all these least reached groups, you're a lot of things to a lot of different people. And that's just the nature of the work, I think, because you're really looking for an opportunity to evangelize every day. You're also looking for an opportunity to disciple and encourage the few believers that are there. So, uh, yeah, it's it's, it's, it's a lot. And we need to we need to have wisdom about how to invest our time and effort, and we also need to encourage people to come join us. We're, we're the only missionaries for miles and miles and miles, and we have way more things that are needs than we can ever possibly do, and so we would love to you know, have some help in all of that. All right, well, I'm going to... Yeah, Jared, go for it. Yeah, that's a great question. There's a hospital in our town. If you walked into it, it would be, it's a bare building. The government built a hospital there, but there's almost no one inside the building. And It's pretty new, by the way. It looks really nice on the outside, but when you go in, it's very empty. And our, our girls are friends with a young man who watched them build. He was part of that somehow. And he said it was not constructed well. In fact, there's mold. And we were told by another source, too, that there's already mold in the building. And it's just, it's not good quality as far as that's concerned. So there's some general doctors in that hospital. Uh, There are no specialists of any kind. So um, I think... 
people can go and maybe get some very, very basic care in a hospital like that, if they have anything significant at all, then they have to go to the city, which for most of them, if they can't afford to fly the 45-minute flight, it means a 15-hour bus, bus ride to La Paz in a, on a dangerous road. And so that's what Daniela had to do with her hydrocephalus is she had to travel to La Paz and has been there, um, and they've been back and forth several times. But there are no, no specialists. No one wears glasses there. So, uh, you know, people have asked me, does Caleb really even need glasses? Because their whole concept of needing glasses is sort of an extreme case. Um, you see people reading. They'll, they'll be reading like this. They, they just have very poor vision. You see a lot of people with fog. Uh, I don't know how. I don't know what it is. You might, but uh, foggy eyes, where one eye is just completely cloudy, and um, and then you see people. People have a different view. This is why people think differently than Americans. If you've got a heart problem in the states or some issue, regardless of your financial level, you will probably go to a hospital and get that taken care of, either by some sort of government program, people doing a GoFundMe, whatever it is, but you'll get it taken care of. Where we live, when people have an issue like that, they just accept the fact that they're probably going to die from it. Like, there's not a, we're going to do it. You, there's no one getting bypass surgery where we live. No one. Um, there's a young man that's a friend of ours, who's 20, what is, how old is he, 21? 20. 20. And they told him when he was born that he had a heart problem that could be corrected through surgery. His family didn't have the money. They said he'll die before he's 25. And his family just accepted it. He then had surgery. There's a guy in our church who needs kidney medicine, can't afford the kidney medicine, so just going without. And it's not a maybe we can. It's just an acceptance of the reality that there's nothing here for us. And so, which has been another adjustment for our own mentality, like for us to think that, like, um, accept that way of thinking. You know, we've lived here for most of our lives, and so we have this mindset here. And to go there, you know, yes, we want to help, 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 but we've had to learn that we can't, we can't help everybody, and we can't do everything, and we have to say no a lot. And it's heartbreaking. And so that's been also another adjustment for our family. Yeah, so just imagine, uh, we look around, and you don't see many, I don't, there's probably not a case of this in this room right now, but if, if you were not getting any medical care, if, if your kids weren't visiting the pediatrician from early age, you, you weren't getting any kind of dental work, you weren't doing that along the way sort of maintaining, it would be you would be surprised at the percentage of population in this room that would have something seriously wrong with them because it wasn't corrected earlier. So to see somebody with a limp, one leg not working right, very common. We're all over. See somebody with a clouded eye or one eye pointing this way, one eye pointing straight, very common. See people not being able to read because that's common. Most people have half the, half the teeth we have because if you have a cavity, you just pull the tooth out. So the pastor who's in his 30s, who's in our town, he's got half the teeth I have, you know. That's, that's just normal life. And so we all, most of the people in this room look relatively healthy when you walk. You don't look like you have something that's obviously wrong with you. But it's because over the years you've gotten some preventative care or things adjusted. And without that, it's a really difficult situation. Plus you throw in malnutrition and all of that. And you've got a very serious need. And so there's a huge opportunity for medical work there of every kind, 
for dental work, for eye vision work, and those are all open doors to some of these indigenous communities that we have a hard time getting into. If you can come with medical work, now you've got an invitation in the community to actually evangelize. And so some, some, in many missions contexts, that's sort of the way that the laws, people will let down the guard with the laws to allow you to preach the gospel without trouble is if you're bringing that work. So anyway, great question. All right, well, I'm going to close uh, just by giving you an update about Bolivia real quickly. Um, many of you are following it in, on the news. Uh, sort of a quick summary. I think about four weeks ago, well, it was the 20th of October, there were presidential elections. And the president's name is Evo Morales. And th- he was running for his fourth five-year term, presidential term. The Constitution of Bolivia only allows you to run for two terms, but he was running for his fourth Two years ago, he, three years ago, he had a referendum. And the referendum was, will you allow me to change the Constitution so I can run for a fourth term? Surprised him when the vote came in, no, you can't run for a fourth term. Instead, what he did was appeal to inter- an international law that says it's a violation of human rights if you don't let a citizen run for an office. And he said, you would be violating my human rights if I don't get to run for a fourth term. I mean, it's a huge stretch of that law, but allowed him, he ran anyway. So the, not, the evening of the elections, what they do is they have, a video, they have a camera, and people come out and tell the counts of the votes. They're collecting votes from these communities all over Bolivia. So they're bringing the votes out, and they're giving the tally. And the law is, if you have, if you have 40% of the vote and 10% margin over the second guy, there's no runoff election. You just win outright. But if you have less than 40% of the vote or you have less than a 10% margin over the second guy, there has to be a runoff between the top two candidates. Well, the evening of the elections, they were at 84% of the count. They counted 84% of the votes and said, he's got 40%, but he's only got a 6.1% margin. There will have to be a runoff. After they made that announcement, there will have to be a runoff. They stopped the live count. They didn't announce another count after that, which is unusual. And then a full day later, they announced he has 10.1% buffer over the second guy. He wins the election. There will be no recount. There will be no re-election. So the people were like, what's this pause between there's going to be a runoff and there's not going to be a runoff he won by sufficient margin? And so it started this protest because people, in the first place, many people didn't want him to run again. Secondly, it appears very clear that there's fraud in the election. And so people are protesting, and by protesting, I mean the streets of the cities, city of La Paz, Santa Cruz, Cochabamba, Tarija, all these major cities, you had full of people closing off the cities. There's no transportation through the cities. No one's going anywhere. Just full of people protesting, basically saying, we're not moving until there's uh, admission of of, uh, needs to be a re-election. And when he kept refusing, they upped it. They said, we're not moving until you resign. And so there was these protests that have gone on for the last three weeks, shutting down everything. And then the police joined the people in the protest, and the military said, we're not going to support you either, President. And in the face of all of that, the President said, I resign. That happened last Sunday. He got asylum. He's in Mexico right now. But what he's now doing is he's feeding his followers that are still in the country, many indigenous people. 
that have supported him over the years. He really freed the indigenous people from a lot of prejudice. There, early on, he did really good things for the indigenous people. And many of them support him outright, partly because of fear. Some of them are coca producers. They grow coca leaves. And he doubled the acreage that could be devoted to coca production. So they support him. So when he resigned, his followers came out and he stirred them on from Mexico. Tweeting, messaging people, saying, you have no choice but to take up guns now, etc., etc. And so they have been coming down literally in La Paz. La Paz is a canyon. Our teammates have seen them, 200 men at a time, coming down the canyon, walking down the canyon, heading to houses, pulling people out of their houses and burning their houses, burning buildings. I mean, it's utter chaos and violence. Multiple people have died. Now multiple people have been wounded. And they are now crying out, civil war, civil war. And I read yesterday that a Mexican journalist said that Evo's plan, the former president now, is planning to move to Venezuela or Cuba and arm a resistance and re-enter Bolivia. So from everything we can see, Bolivia is on the verge of civil war. And they've actually evacuated our teammates out of the country because of the embassy's warning. And so we're in an interesting situation right now. And it's many ways we wish we could be with our friends. Our friends in the jungle, their problem is not the violence where they live. Their problem is all of their supplies have been cut off. So there's no gasoline. The food that has come from the cities is not coming any longer. There are no tourists coming anymore. The motor taxi drivers can't drive anybody. There's no transportation across the river. Everything has shut down. And so you take an already very poor people and put them in that situation, and it's pretty desperate for them right now. And so people are really suffering and struggling, and there doesn't seem to be an immediate solution. And so we're just sort of watching it day by day. Every day, things change fairly dramatically right now. And so we'll see what happens. We're supposed to go back on January the 6th. Uh, that's when our flights are. Right now, if we were supposed to go back, if we needed to go back today, we we couldn't even get there. So you, you just all, we're just asking that everyone pray. And I would encourage you, just Google Bolivia and then click on news and keep up to date on it some and continue to pray specifically for this country because uh, on the one hand, it's very dark, desperate times for Bolivia, but on the other hand, those are the times sometimes that are opportunities for people to really trust in the Lord. So we'd ask that you would pray that people would turn to the Lord. Okay? Yeah. All right. So we're done. We've got uh, this table here. Uh, if you didn't fill out an index card, a little note to our friends, we'd love for you to do that. Or ask us any other questions you might have and see what we got over here. Well, let me pray for you guys. Father God, thank you so much for Chris and Joy and Emily and Anna and Caleb. And God, I think it's hard for me just as I look at this family to, to not see the um, extra grace you have poured on their lives. Uh, to to be sustained and uh, grown and um, just to persevere through all the trials uh, they, they've been through. And God, we just thank you for that. And while we, um, we don't put them on a pedestal, uh, because we see that it is you, God, that has poured that grace on them, and we just ask that it would continue. God, we want you, um, we want to see you glorified by their ministry being long and fruitful um, by their children flourishing spiritually, physically, educationally, and just every way, Lord. Um, God, we want to see you glorified.
God, we ask just uh, so many different needs um, on this type of uh, ministry, God. So many different needs, and we know that you are sufficient for all of it. Like Joy said, uh, just one of her greatest encouragements was just remembering that you are sufficient for all of it, for every need, Lord. You already know it before they even ask for it, and you are ready to give um, whatever's needed um, even before they ask for it. Like a good father, you're ready to give it, Lord. I pray that you would continually encourage them with that. And even as they've already talked about once again, that they would be encouraged remembering that any hardship that comes upon them, any trial that comes upon them, um, is only something that has come through your hands, by your plan, to fulfill your purposes in and through them, God. Lord, I pray that even as we've seen all of this, um, that our hearts would be moved God, I, I know that I sit um, even in the pew now listening, and I feel somewhat ashamed uh, of my own um, complaining, my own love of comfort, my own uh, idols in my life. Lord, tear them all out of my heart and out of the hearts of, of our hearers here, Lord. To live, to live, or to die is gain. I'm sorry, what am I trying to, to say? To live in Christ uh, is Christ, and to die is gain, uh, Lord imprint that on our hearts better than it's on my memory right now. Um, God, oh, you are just so worth it. And making disciples is so worth it, uh, more than our comfort, more than anything else. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for, in, for encouraging us through this family. Continue to pour your love and grace on them. I pray that they would when they do get back, um, as we just trust that this, this government stuff will, will be handled when they need uh, to get back. Um, that they would just quickly regain momentum and that they would see your name glorified. God, bless the rest of their, their stay um, in, in the States and uh, be glorified, God. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to say about that stuff. I, just, I think I just want to close by saying thank you all so much for... Uh, so, so many of you, several of you support us so faithfully, regularly, and I, I just want people to know, like, that doesn't go into some sort of empty bucket that we never see. I see every month, we see every month the support that's coming in, and sometimes uh, your support, no, prayer support, financial support, all the above, is, the, is really the difference between us quitting and us continuing on. Like, on those dark days, you just realize, can't quit, look at all these people behind you guys keep going. So thank you all. Thank you very much. Let's praise God for his work.